Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.
2019, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, Judges Matter and Black Arkansas voters have been denied the opportunity to elect the judges they choose. The NAACP Legal Defense Fund is suing the state over that issue. Also, in Flint, the citizens there face unreasonable water lien policies that could remove people from their homes. The city has agreed not to enforce those liens. We will talk with Flint Mayor Karen Weaver. The former editor of Essence Magazine launches a new platform for women of color. We'll talk to Vanessa DeLuca about that website. Also, former NFL player Kellen Winslow has been, sorry, Kellen Winslow Jr. has been convicted of raping a homeless woman. The jury has deadlocked on eight other counts of sexual assault. We'll give you those details. Plus, in Missouri, black drivers are 91% more likely to be pulled over by police. And I'm sure they say it's because we drive pretty bad. And in Baltimore, a former cop convicted of second-degree assault for a vicious beating of a man last August. When we show you the video, you shall remember that. And also, Jon Stewart uh, goes after Congress for what they did when it comes to the 9-11 victims. Wait until I show you his emotional testimony. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. supposedly is good enough to drink. Residents there say that is not the case. They've also been complaining about liens being placed on their homes as a result of not paying their water bills. The NAACP Legal Defense Fund said that was wrong, and Flint Mayor Karen Weaver uh, has agreed regarding their enforcing what they call unreasonable water lien policies that would remove people from their homes. Joining us right now is the mayor of Flint, Karen Weaver. Mayor Weaver, welcome back to Roland Martin Unfiltered. Well, thank you. I'm always glad to talk with you. So let's. Uh, so exactly what's going. Uh, so this. What was the city's policy regarding these water liens uh, against folks' homes, and what is going to be done done now? Well, you know, there 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 had been a policy that was put in place when people got so far behind in their bills, uh, a lien was placed on their home. And and you know, I heard in your opening what you said, and you're exactly right. To me, that doesn't make any sense that we would do something like that. Uh, you know, I, I heard you talking about the water and what the EPA said, and we took a stance against that as well because, you know what, none of those things make any sense to do. We have not completed the, uh, the, the lead service line replacement. We're almost through. We have about 7,000 pipes left that need to be addressed. But until those things have been taken care of and until we know the, the medical community, you know, here from Flint, the physicians, the, the, the engineers, the scientists, the public health people have signed off on our water, those things will not be put in place. We are not going to enforce that. 
Uh, and so as a result of this, that means that if any resident has a lien against their home because of a water bill, that lien is going to be lifted by the city? Exactly, and I hope that they got the letters because we were drafting letters to send out, and we put it out in a press release also. Uh, and so, first of all, how many people are we talking about are affected uh, by these liens in Flint? How many people are affected by right. the liens? Well, now, you know what? I don't have that information in front of me. But uh, one thing we, have, we want people to know is that if they got something suggesting that, and I think that's what happened was there was an automatic trigger where things went out. And so people thought that liens were going to be placed on their homes. And so that was when the confusion came up. And we said, we are not going to enforce that. Not at all. Um, and you talked about what is still being done there uh, to, right. to improve, uh, to, first of all, to fix the problem. Um, if you had a percentage, where are you? 50, 60, 70 percent? Oh, no. Uh, 75%? We're, we're about 85 percent complete. Uh, and, and so our, our goal is to be done either by the end of the summer or, the, or early fall. So we're a year ahead of schedule. And even though I'm, you know, I'm really proud of that, uh, we're not there yet. And that's why I was so outraged when EPA made the statement that the water was safe to drink from the tap. I thought, you know, yes, we, we are almost completed with the lead service line replacement. The water is testing good, but we have not. And, you know, until we get every lead and galvanized pipe out of the city of Flint, how could you make such a claim until even after we get every lead and galvanized pipe out of the city of Flint and we have our people say we want to continue to see these kinds of good test results for X period of time and then they will sign off? How can you make those kinds of claims that just seem very premature? Are you getting the full uh, services that you need from the state and from the federal government? No. <laughs> so, so, an so, answer in a nutshell. So, no. so what do you uh, need? Here's our issue. Uh, because with all of the progress we've made, there are still homes whose in, in, you know, the in-home plumbing was damaged. You know, the premise plumbing. And that's what we had asked the state for right from the very beginning was to give us, you know, people should not have to go out and buy uh, fixtures for, for their homes. Uh, water heaters that were damaged. And uh, initially, the state agreed to that. And, and at first they said, we'll give you uh, 4,000 fixtures a year over the next three years, which would have been 12,000, which wasn't enough, but it was better than what they did. You know, we got 4,000 the first year, and then we have not gotten any more from them. We've been able to get other donations where we've been able to give people, how, you know, water heaters. Uh, but that's not enough, and that's the issue. And, you know, when, when they've talked about having Flint fatigue, we, we say, well, what do you think we've got? And you all put us in this position, so why don't you help us finish fixing the problem and, and give funding for that as well? All right, then, Flint Mayor Karen Weaver, we appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, all right. Thanks a lot, folks. Let's talk about what's happening in Arkansas, where the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, they are going after the state uh, over the issue of voting. They contend that African-Americans make up 16% of 
the residents in Arkansas, yet they've never had an African-American elected to the state's highest court. They have filed, NAACP has filed a lawsuit to change the way top courts are being filled. They say that the statewide election of all the judges on the state Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals violates the Voting Rights Act by denying black voters an equal opportunity to participate in the political process. The suit asks a federal judge to strike down the current election procedure and replace it with a new one. Let's bring in our panel right now. Joining me uh, is uh, Joseph Pinon, who is a Republican political strategist and commentator. Uh, also, Malik Abdul, Vice President of Black Conservative Federation. Uh, next to him is Kelly Bethea, communication strategist. And also joining with us is Mustafa Santiago Ali, former senior advisor for the environmental justice at the EPA. Folks, when we think about What's this whole issue of voting? We've, we've always seen this uh, in the 70s. It was African Americans being elected state, uh, excuse me, uh, citywide. They would have, and that's why they push towards single member districts. But then you look at uh, what happens here in Arkansas, but also other states as well, especially in the South, where you have significant black population, but you don't have any representation whatsoever. Uh, the reality is race is still uh, playing a role when it comes to who gets elected uh, and how folks uh, are able to be able to get over that hurdle. And I think it, it's, it's, I think, was it just last week we were talking about Mississippi or the week before that? This seems similar to um, mm -hmm. what are challenging in Mississippi. I think I, I understand this one a little less because we had, you know, they explained, I think the representative who came on to the, um, explained the whole electoral college. Um, I understand this particular case less. Um, I, any effort to um, suppress the vote, if you will, we should push back against any effort. I still remain, I, I remain about this case, um, my feelings are similar to how I felt about the Mississippi cases, that I'm not exactly sure if that, this particular law or whatever, is the barrier to more black people not winning more statewide offices in the, just generally throughout the South. I, I think part of that may have something to do with just, and as I was reading the actual filing in this particular case in Arkansas, they actually talked about the fact that blacks vote in blocks, that, you know, we vote in blocks. And I think in response to that, I think their argument was that whites in Arkansas also vote in blocks, but to the disadvantage of black people. And how do, how do we resolve that? I don't know. But any effort to, to actually suppress the vote, we should push back against it. No, but, but voter suppression is also tied to race. Right. No, absolutely. Uh, Malik, you're kind of correct in terms of the blocks. Um, the reason why it was filed in the first place is because uh, LDF, uh, Legal Defense Fund for NAACP, found that uh, Arkansas was in direct violation of Section 2 of the Voter Rights Act. And there are three elements that uh, uh, need to be met in order for them to even think about filing it. So one of them, like you said, was the majority must vote sufficiently as in a block to enable basically the voter disenfranchisement. So that's what they mean by the block. So when uh, it wasn't saying like most black people vote for black people, although that is true, they did mention that in the complaint. But the problem was white people actively voted in such a way and the uh, electoral scheme in Arkansas is such that when white people vote, it drowns out the black vote. And the way that the districting is in Arkansas, um, like you said, is 16 percent uh, black people in Arkansas, and yet there's nobody on either of these two highest courts in Arkansas. And the, the reason that is the case is because uh, the uh, the black 
people in Arkansas don't have um, really adequate representation. And that's why they want about district. I mean, Joseph, that's Correct. what it points to. I mean, right. again, those are the exact same thing that took place all across the country when it came to county commissioners, when it came to city council members. That's why in a lot of places they had council members who were elected at large. Mm -hmm. And then they, that's why it was a push towards single member districts mm -hmm. right. in order for black folks to have representation. That's what they're saying in Arkansas. I think that, you know, uh, it becomes this very nuanced thing that's very difficult to try to explain to the general public, right? So I think that uh, the, the average person who's sitting at home not necessarily understanding how it's possible that if you're looking at districts that are pretty much statewide, how that goes against or how that disenfranchises people. I think that for us who have a more nuanced understanding of, of what has transpired, um, have a responsibility, and obviously that's why we're sitting here talking about it now, to be able to go and explain to people how these issues are systemic. Um, and I think that to me, I mean, one of the things that bothers me in general is how we're even voting for judges right now in the first place. Um, mm -hmm. To me, that you know, the, that's the biggest corruption um, that we have right now in our criminal justice system. If the law is supposed to be blind, um, that we cannot be allowing people's implicit bias um, to be out here have setting the, the conditions for how we're going to be deciding justice here in America. Mustafa, what's interesting is that you have the Supreme Court positions, they are all statewide. But the appellate judges are districts. Mm -hmm. Okay, which uh, that makes no sense to me. And then, and they put all the black folks in one district. Yeah. So they're fine with that on the appellate level. All right, we'll give y'all one. And, and LDF wants there to be at least two. But you have statewide for the Supreme Court, but the court right below them will go, will go towards districts. Exactly. Well, you know, we talk about this before. This is about power. I always talk about the power dynamics. You know, and it's interesting when people say this is difficult for everybody, everyday folks to actually understand. I don't think that that um, is necessarily true because this has been going on since Jim Crowism. Um, and the folks understand that when we don't have judges, and I wish that the law was blind, um, but we all know that the law is not blind. So therefore, if you don't have representation, then you're going to have these disproportionate impacts that continue to happen. And then I look even further for the long game when you're not allowing uh, African-Americans the opportunity to become judges, then that limits their opportunity to also be able to move up the ladder, whether you're talking about in state Supreme Courts or in the highest courts in the land. So all of this actually puts us behind the eight ball. I, I just wonder, wonder something. I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, I wonder what do you guys think that if, for instance, and we're going to take South Carolina, for example, you know, if Tim Scott had been a Democrat, would he have won statewide? Office? No. Right. So, and, and my point in saying this is that because there because there are more Republicans in South Carolina than Democrats, and then you have more white Republicans in South Carolina. Yeah. Than so Democrats. I'm wondering if we're talking about Mississippi, if we're talking about Alabama, any of these southern states, mm -hmm. if we had more black people who were actually Republicans running, would that change the, the dynamic no. of those that are actually actually in it wouldn't? Because first of all, you're comparing apples and oranges. Senator T Tim Scott is a United States senator. You only mm -hmm. have two for the state. Here you're talking about seven Supreme Court justices. Right, but I'm wondering so if, having, if they ran... No, 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 that actually makes it even worse. The fact that you have seven Supreme Court justices, mm -hmm. and in the history of Arkansas, there's never been a single African-American uh -huh. ever. So the issue, is, the issue to me is not even necessarily if you had more black Republicans. It also boils down to that, you know, that, particular, uh, th that particular state. I mean, the reality is African-Americans across the board, Republican and Democrat, have had a hard time in America 
being elected to statewide mm -hmm. office. Absolutely. That's about whiteness. Mm -hmm. I mean, so it's not, so it's not, I mean, I mean, look, you, you look at uh, Roland Burris. Roland Burris uh, had well, the, we can't. No, 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 oh, no, follow me here. <laughs> Roland Burris, when he was, was Secretary of State, mm -hmm. had the most votes at that time ever. Mm. Yet when Roland Burris ran Wait for, for no, not Senate, no, when he ran for a higher position <laughs> in Illinois, did not win. He didn't and run for Senate, that's right. No, 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 right. no, I'm talking when he ran on a state right. level. Mm -hmm. And so you can go across the country, you had very few African Americans who've been elected statewide. Mm -hmm. You had folks who, who were, who, mm -hmm. of course you had Carol Mosley Braun, uh, you had, of course, Obama in Illinois, United States Senate. Of course, mm -hmm. Kamala Harris, U.S. Senate, Cory Booker. Booker. Yeah, that, right. So, that's, so you think, so you've had five black people mm -hmm. since Reconstruction. Uh -huh. Edward Brooke, Karen Mosley Braun. Barack Obama. Well, Rose Obama. Harris, I guess. And I'm talking about, no, no. I'm talking well, not about elected. elected. Yeah, not elected. But elected. Not you only had about five. Right. Uh -huh. Since Reconstruction. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, since Reconstruction. Yeah. And so... Both parties have had issues mm -hmm. with black people when it, the moment they run statewide. Don't have and, to support. And, There's a lot, a lot of issues there. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, mm -hmm. that's, and so what they're talking about here is, again, what's strange in Arkansas is to have districts on the appellate level, uh -huh. but statewide for the Supreme Court. And so mm -hmm. we'll see what happens there uh, in um, Arkansas. Let's talk about Upper Marlboro, Maryland. Well, they got their first African-American mayor, Tonga Turner. Well... They had their first black mayor. She announced last night in town council meeting that she is resigning because she's been the target of ongoing racist attacks and bullying. Her resignation will take effective June 21st. Folks, this is very reminiscent of the sister who resigned in Vermont uh, because of the racism that was being uh, targeted at her. It also reminds me of, I think it was in Missouri, where the black woman won and then all the folks in the city resigned mm -hmm. and locked yep. her yep. out yeah. of, of the mayor's office, even though she won. Uh -huh. And she had to sue to, just to get the keys to City Hall. I mean, again, this might be 2019, but we're still dealing with the reality with that when you are the first in some of these places, uh, racism will rear its ugly head. Yeah, I mean, I, I think realistically that Racism has always been alive. I think that again, you look at we had this whole. Well, I, I thought they said it. it well, you I know, thought they we said had, it went away. We had this, we had this post Obama bubble where right, everyone wanted yeah. to hold hands, sing kumbaya, and say that we were living in this post racial society. But remember, uh, that that was an, um, that was a media creation. Mm -hmm. This whole deal with post racial. That, that first of all, black mm -hmm. people kind of like. Right. I mean, I remember I, I was on right. CNN at the time. They kept going post racial. I'm sitting there going, mm. "What the hell are y'all talking about? Right. Let's You've look at the executive suite here. I, we ain't post racial." I, I got yeah. pulled over on the way here. Right. That's what that. So yeah. you oh, know that God. type of that type of nonsense. So mm -hmm. I look. I, I think that realistically, to your point, obviously we still have the vestiges of our, our you know our racially driven existence. Um, they still live to this day. They're thriving. Um, but I think that again, you know, I think there is a responsibility to understand that on some base level, that's what you signed up for. Um, that, that to me, if you're going to put your name forward, if you're going to be the person that assumes the responsibility to be the first, um, then you have a responsibility, in my estimation, um, to make sure that you're willing to carry that burden through um, and to, to, be, you know, to, to be willing to, to face down those challenges. And it's going to be difficult, but I, I think that that's the only way they're ever actually going to find a way to get over that hump.
Yeah. I don't necessarily agree with you signing up to be locked out of City Hall when you've been elected to run City Hall. No, I don't think you signed up to be locked out of City Hall, but I think you do sign up to be to realize that there are going to be obstacles that you're going to have to deal with. That means you're going to use whatever legal recourses you have mm -hmm. to fight back. That means you're going to use whatever social recourses you have to fight back. But I think the notion to just sit, sit there and say that, you know, uh, this is too hard, I'm out. I think that that does a disservice um, to the individuals that even made it possible for you to get to that situation. I don't in, think in it was that place. simple of a solution for them to resign. I mean, if you have every single uh, uh, option at your disposal, basically not at your disposal, what are you to do in that situation? And in the case of Upper Marlboro, I mean, I tell people every day, Maryland isn't as democratic as you think depending on where you are so this was probably a safety precaution for her if she's feeling like she is in such a position that she cannot fulfill her duties i don't think her running the way that she did and actually winning only to you know bow out i don't think that was an easy decision on her part at all i think and that was and that was the case of again the sister in vermont right who had to step aside and the fact I mean, that the, all the, of these the, people the bigotry got so intense she said i i gotta resign right i mean this is a safety precaution and the fact that most the people of these examples that you're mentioning are all black women i mean that's also something that we have to take into consideration here mm -hmm. you know we have a gender issue and a race issue here um even, especially in Vermont, you know, there's not a whole lot of black women in right. Vermont, and you have to take all of those things into consideration. I don't, you know, I commend them for even running, and the fact that they won is a success in itself, but, you know, at the end of the day, they're still human, and they still have to, you know, look out for themselves, and if they feel I'm like... I'm really surprised in this case that this, well, you know, you shouldn't be surprised when things like this happen, but particularly we're talking about Upper Marlboro. You know, we're not talking about rural Kentucky or anything like no, that. No, we're talking about rural Maryland. Yeah, but it's still Upper Marlboro. And it's so still with, rural I mean, Maryland. Yeah, but with the political... Yeah, I mean, believe it or not, I've actually been plenty of places. Yeah, no, I get um, that. But, but yeah, I've been, I've been to Upper Marlboro. I know uh, most of the people who I know, most of the black people that I know who live in Maryland, sure. live in Upper Marlboro. So I'm surprised that this sort of thing would that they, that she faced this this intensity of racism that she bowed out of the actual position. I, I mean, I'm just saying this is just. No, really I mean, look, I think it goes back to the original point. Racism hasn't gone anywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm from New York, and New York schools are in many cases more segregated today than they were in the Jim Crow South. Sure. And that's just the God's honest truth. Um, again, I, I understand. I am sympathetic. Um, to the fact that anyone would have to deal with these things, but I still remember, you know, if, you know, growing up and listening to my father, and you know, even some of the stories. If you listen to Donna Brazile talking about Jesse Jackson, some of the of threats course. that he faced mm -hmm. going through those things, and you know, all the death threats that he had, you know, what the, the reports where they said, you know, they had two, they had two cameramen on them all times because he was on death watch, mm -hmm. right? right? They were waiting for him to be the next one to go, and you know, people told me, Jesse, you don't have to do this, and him saying, No, I feel like I must do this, and I must see it through, and so I'm not sitting here trying to say that, you know, somehow. That's what you signed up for, and this is, you know, this is the price you have to pay for being black in America, uh, even though in some cases, unfortunately, it is. But what I am saying is that, again, when you make that determination, 
that okay. it is worth standing on that limb. Mm -hmm. That at whatever cost, come hell or high water, that you're going to stand up there and represent the people. I do believe that there is some vested interest in having to see it through. Maybe you have to see it through from another state where you go, go and get resources to get the NAACP to come back to get protection. Maybe it's making sure that you have to go out there and ensure that your family is protected. So you're not putting them in harm's mm -hmm. way unnecessarily. But I do think that there is a responsibility once you've stepped out and said that here I am. Follow me and let me help help us uh, you know, go down this path together that you have to see that through. Mustafa, go ahead. But we, we just got to be really careful that we continue to lower our expectations. This is 2019. Mm -hmm. So these types of attacks, if somebody wants to talk about policy and have a disagreement about policy, then that is an acceptable set of conversations that can happen. Right. But when people move into the racial space, when people start to talk about gender or whatever it is and attack someone, then that's when we have to stand up and push back and say, this is not acceptable. This cannot be a part of the 21st century paradigm around politics. And, you know, we got to hold people accountable when they are attacking our own and folks who are trying to do the right thing. And we should do that on both sides. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, we, should, we should actually make sure that we're... Um, rallying around people on both sides because, you know, it's pretty... Now, I'm pretty sure that Tim Scott gets a lot, you know, even for, you know, just from I, us. So I, I, I think we I'm should... I'm just going to say that. Y'all just don't have that many. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll just I mean, this, that, you know, I, I I'm think I'm just that, being black. But you don't have that many. I, black I, people in general. I, that's I, what I mean. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I think that, you know, we shouldn't be lowering the ball, but the bar, but to that standard, I would say that, look, I don't think the bar is being lowered. Mm. I think that this is where the bar has always been. Mm. Um, and I think that if we're really going to be brutally honest about where we've been, we as a nation have not invested the emotional capital required to make sure that we've dealt with these issues, to make sure that these issues are stricken from our society. And I think that we need to do a much better job um, as a community, making sure that, number one, issues like this come to the forefront. Yeah. We've got a lot of foolishness that appears on the front page of the newspapers. It mm -hmm. does not deal with this. Um, and that's why forums like this are important. But we have to make sure that it starts with us, incumbent on us, okay. to make sure that we're dealing with these I issues. didn't hear about this until today. And I live right in deep. This Upper Marlboro right. is like down the street. That's why we exist. <laughs> All right, y'all. Uh, John Stewart. Uh, John Stewart testified today before Capitol Hill and had some tough words for Congress when it came to the issue of health care for the folks who put their lives on the line during 9-11. Uh, folks, check this out. I mean, he let Congress have it. Official FDNY response time to 9-11 was five seconds. Five seconds. That's how long it took for FDNY, for NYPD, for Port Authority, for EMS, to respond to an urgent need from the public. Five seconds. Hundreds died in an instant. Thousands more poured in to continue to fight for their brothers and sisters. All right, folks, and this is how he actually opened the hearing, uh, taking Congress uh, to task uh, for, let's just say, a lot of them not even showing the hell up uh, for their job. Go, watch this. I want to thank Mr. Collins and Mr. Naylor for putting this together, but uh, as I sit here today, I can't help but think what an incredible metaphor this room is for the entire process that getting health care and benefits for 9-11 first responders has come to. Behind me, a filled room of 9-11 first responders, and in front of me, a nearly empty Congress. 
sick and dying, they brought themselves down here to speak to no one. It's shameful. It's an embarrassment to the country and it is a stain on this institution. And you should be ashamed of yourselves for those that aren't here, but you won't be. Because accountability doesn't appear to be something that occurs in this chamber. Wow. To see, first of all, you gotta be an idiot if you're a member of Congress and you are on this committee and you don't show up. I, I, this, this is another failure of our Congress, of our government. Um, they, and I was listening to some of it in, uh, after s some of the people who were actually there, um, the firefighters, and they were talking about how they've seen the words, the nice, comforting words from these politicians, and, you know, they talked about that, but then when it comes to actually advocating, you know, putting some meat on the bones, they're nowhere to be found. So, you know, this is an example of your nice words or just that. Yeah, it's nice called people in the process. What it is, is it's faux patriotism, part-time patriotism, uh, and I know this intimately. I have been a first responder for natural mm -hmm. disasters, and I remember, you know, the impacts that were happening to folks who ran into the World Trade Center, those who lost their lives, but also those who've been exposed to pollution, mm -hmm. um, and the toxins that were inside of the building that came from the jet fuel and all these other things, and how people have been crying out year after year. One, do you see us? Yeah. And two, are you willing to help us? We are the ones uh, who are there on the front lines mm -hmm. um, when we have these types of things. And, and it's just, it, it's, it's so disrespectful um, to the country. It's disrespectful to those men and women who, who give their lives. Um, and it just goes to show you who's serious uh, about, you know, protecting our country, who's serious uh, about standing up for what's right. And it's interesting. You know, folks will get um, tied up in knots when Colin Kaepernick actually took a knee uh -huh. and they were saying that he wasn't patriotic. Mm -hmm. But when you have men and women who are getting paid to sit on Capitol Hill and not show up for these types of situations uh, and support people, that shows you what real patriotism is all about, if you want to go from that paradigm. And according to, uh, so this is the New York Post, the House bill in question permanently reauthorizes the Victim Compensation Fund through October 1st, 2090 which should account for the lifespan of all the children and the adults sickened by the terror attacks. Uh, but right now, uh, the fund has a funding shortfall uh, because survivors would receive cuts of 50% for pending claims and 70% yeah, for future right. claims. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, as a New Yorker, I mean, you sit here and you, you hear some of these, these gut-wrenching stories about, you know, individuals who can't work. I mean, they have migraines. They've got fluid leaking from their brain, you know, on an on a almost weekly and recurring basis. Um, and so I think it, it truly is shameful when you have half these individuals who are ready to give themselves a raise, yep. not mm -hmm. just two days ago, yep. and yeah. now they can't even show up for committee meetings right. for individuals who literally ran into the fire, yep. um, a fire that by all accounts didn't go out for months after the towers fell. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, individuals who you, you, you see those images of people covered in soot, most of those people are no longer alive yep. um, because of the toxins that people were breathing in. And so it, it, it's, it just really, it makes you think, and it, it forces you to really to truly examine the, the, the fabric of a nation where you have Hurricane Katrina, I mean, my father in particular, living in a, a FEMA trailer in Homa, Louisiana, mm -hmm. you know, waiting to be able to go back home. You've got individuals here in Puerto Rico who still don't have power. You've got people in Flint, Michigan who don't have clean water. When 
pain comes to the front doors of people who need our help the most, when we are supposed to be the nation that takes care of our own, in particular those who stood in front of us when danger came and he reared its ugly head, it, it seems that inevitably those who are the loudest fervor for the red, the white, and the blue are nowhere to be found. That's right. All right, folks, going to break right now. We come back. We'll talk with Vanessa DeLuca, the former editor, top editor at Essence Magazine, about a new website for women of color that she is working on. Uh, that's next. Roller Martin Unfiltered. Back in a moment. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roller Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, they're back. MarijuanaStock.org has another great investment opportunity. If you were lucky enough to invest in their last crowdfunding campaign, you know they raised a lot of money in just a few months investing in legal marijuana farms. Those initial investors now own shares of a publicly traded company, and, of course, they are very excited by that. Now they have a new investment opportunity that is as good, if not better, than the last. I'm talking about industrial hemp CBD. For those who don't know, the hemp plant is a cousin to marijuana, uh, of course, and then you, it has a higher concentration of CBD, which means hemp CBD gives you all of the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Now, until recently, hemp farming was practically illegal in the U.S. and heavily regulated by the DEA. However, that changed with the 2018 Farm Bill, making it legal to grow hemp CBD in the U.S. and creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. They need land to grow all of the plants, and this makes for an incredible investment opportunity. And that's where our good friends at 420 Real Estate come in. Their business model is simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to licensed high-paying tenants. That's right, they are hemp CBD landlords, and you can get in on the action. You can invest in this crowdfunding campaign for as little as 200 bucks, up to $10,000. All right, folks, all you got to do is go to MarijuanaStock.org. That's MarijuanaStock.org if you want to get in the game. And if you do so, do it now. All right, folks, let's talk about, uh, of course, uh, women of color. Huge, huge when it comes to this country. Uh, it was a voting block in terms of activism. Uh, so we speak of African-American women, Hispanic women, Asian women as well. So a new online publication, Medium, they have launched uh, a site called Zora. It will focus on the experiences of women of color written by women of color. Joining me right now is Vanessa DeLuca. She is the editor-in-chief of Zora. Many of you know her, of course, as the longtime editor-in-chief of Essence Magazine. Vanessa, how you doing? I'm doing great, Roland. How are you? Uh, doing good. So, so tell us, uh, what makes Zora uh, different uh, and unique? You know, Zora is really focused on telling um, thought-provoking um, stories about the lived experiences of women of color. And by that, we, when we say women of color, we don't mean just black women. We mean all women of color. And we don't think that there's anything quite like it in this space right now, certainly not in the online community. And when we talk about, uh, I mean, obviously you launched the site yesterday, correct? Yes. Okay, and uh, and who are you targeting? What demographic? Are you talking millennials? Are you talking about 2554? Are you talking about all women of color? We're really talking about all women of color. We hope that, that women will see this as kind of a um, lifestyle choice versus talking about a specific demographic. I mean, it really is for women who are tired of 
not finding thoughtful, um, textured content um, as concerns women of color. We want to discover new voices. We want to bring our different perspectives to the table. And all of that um, is, you know, Zora is a place where all of that can happen. Uh, and uh, who are some of the folks have you been tapping uh, to write for the publication? Oh, so yesterday we launched with um, a, an essay by Yara Shahidi, um, who talked to us about who talked to us about her love of James Baldwin. We also had an, an op-ed by uh, Kamala Harris, where she talked about her plan for um, pay equity um, as a presidential candidate. And then we had some, you know, some other voices, uh, people from like M Morgan Jerkins, uh, Tina McElroy Ansa, um, Vanessa Hua wrote this beautiful piece about um, learning how to connect with her culture. I mean, there's a, a wide variety of content from personal essays to reported pieces to op-eds, Q&As. You'll find it all in Zora. All right, then. And, of course, I see the interesting piece here, uh, the highs and lows uh, of being a black editor-in-chief, uh, written by the former editor of uh, Teen Vogue. Yes, that's one of our most popular pieces, Elaine Wilteroth's um, very honest, um, candid um, expression of what she went through and why she decided to leave Teen Vogue. And she was willing to, you know, let us excerpt her upcoming book and talk all about it. All right, then. Well, that's it, DeLuca. Uh, we appreciate it. Glad to see uh, you uh, still doing what you love to do. And uh, we look forward to checking out, checking out Zora. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Thanks a bunch. Uh, and so, but it, so one of the things that, uh, that, that still is interesting to me when we talk about uh, media, I mean, the reality is when you look at, I mean, I, again, jumping off on this piece here, uh, the reality is you still are seeing this is a white dominated industry. Mustafa, they set the agenda, they set the tone. You look at the political coverage right now going on uh, when it comes to who are the folks, the lead writers, when it comes to who are the folks on these television uh, networks. Uh, yeah, you see Sprinkle Sprinkle, uh, but the reality is that's who is determining uh, so much of this. And I keep trying to explain to people that this is the last bastion, mm -hmm. that when media changes, when you have wholesale diversity in media, uh, then the game changes. Also, Politico has a piece out today talking about how white the Treasury Department is, how basically the upper echelon of the Treasury Department are a bunch of uh, uh, rich white men. And same thing. Uh, I tell people all the time, you know, the Treasury Department shares is the only agency sharing along with the White House. Mm -hmm. And so power is the White House, Treasury Department is money. Power and money go hand in hand. And we have to, we have to be, and the people out there who are saying, man, just start your own. Well, first of all, we started our own as a whole bunch of people who don't even support our own. as a whole different conversation. But we have to understand that media sets the tone in this country for everything. Mm -hmm. it, it is. I mean, it, it tells the narrative. Uh, it defines if you are seen in a positive light or of a negative light. If you are seen as someone that folks should be investing in. All of these various things go into that into that mix, and you know it goes to the top. And when we don't have diversity that's there, we're going to get certain types of stories, and that's why your show and others uh, are so incredibly important because that narrative is shared not only in this country but it's shared around the world. Um, and you travel internationally, and and most of the panelists here do as well. 
and that's the first thing that people see, whatever those stories are that are being shared. Um, so that's why it's so incredibly important for us to be not only engaged in this, creating our own, but also pushing and making sure that, you know, that media looks like uh, America. Pushing and make sure. That's, that's exactly yeah. what, you know, I, this reminds me, if I think back some years ago when Obama um, got in office, and, and I think it was MSNBC, they had this movement, it was called Lean Forward. Mm -hmm. And it was supposed to be their diversity movement. They had a lot of diverse, you know, hosts and panelists on their no, show. No, that wasn't Lean Forward. It wasn't Lean Forward. It wasn't uh, Lean Forward. No, Lean Forward actually came... From, a from the book. No, no, Lean Forward actually came a few years later. Okay. Uh, now, there was... Now, now, so, so here's actually what happened with that. What happened with that is, coming out of the 2008 election, uh, CNN had the highest ratings, had the highest concentration of black viewership. Mm. Um, I was on there. And what happened was Obama gets elected. CNN goes back to business as usual. Mm -hmm. Okay? So all of a sudden, many of us, we were there, but not as frequent. Mm -hmm. Then the healthcare care... I, I never forget, the healthcare care conversations start taking place. Virtually no black people. And I remember sitting in the office of Jim Walton, who was a worldwide CEO, and, I, and he asked me, he said, Roland, what do you think about uh, our health care coverage. I said, it's shit. <laughs> he looked at me. I said, it's all process. Mm. I said, Jim, you're sitting across from a man who in 2000, uh, Democratic National Convention, my appendix ruptures. Uh, I got to go to the hospital. I said, I spent five days in the hospital. Uh, I said, health care costs almost up, up to $100,000. Had to eventually file for bankruptcy. I said, don't you think that my perspective on health care it's going to be a hell of a lot different right. than the rest of these people. I said, so why am I I'm not on the air? Mm -hmm. And so what happened was we got to the fall, and MSNBC decided to say, oh, damn, they started upticking their numbers. Mm -hmm. Then they just started hiring all kind of black people. Mm -hmm. And they started hiring black people left and right. But I kept telling the black folks, be careful, mm -hmm. because trust me, when Obama's done, Watch what happens. Yeah, and that's and, I, and that's what began to happen yeah. in 2015. Yeah. Uh -huh. You start seeing black folks go away, go away, go away, go away, go away, go away, uh, and then you know they still have you know folks there, but mm -hmm. it was a lot different, mm -hmm. and you had some issues going on there when it came to how advertisers felt or whatever is you know, all those different things going on, and the dynamics changed. Now they still right now have the highest black viewership out of all the cable networks, mm -hmm. but the reality is there's not a single African-American who is host in prime time at MSNBC. Yeah. You tweeted something. Yeah. I think you, re or maybe you retweeted it. It was a photo of their lineup. Of, yep. I think four, four or five. Five? I think all white and women. It, it was all these, no, all these women yeah. uh, who were in daytime at MSNBC. Right. And so that O'Brien was like, uh, where are women of color? That's what it was, right. And, but what, what and the only one of color who's in daytime television is Harris Faulkner at Fox News. Yeah, and, and just to, to kind of button this up where, where I was going, is I think this is an opportunity. So, you, um, you know, um, MSNBC has the largest, largest black viewership. I think it's incumbent upon those viewers, you know, us, black people, to push them. You talking about... Oh, hell yeah. To push, don't just let them peddle right. a lot of these, you know, politics and race things, and not, not that those things aren't important, but you, we have to push them. And with so many numbers on, on the MSNBC side, MSNBC side
Right? There is no reason that we shouldn't. We allow ourselves to get distracted, but roller, I mean, I've been on this show many times where we've talked about this thing in media, but we have to get to a point where we're pushing, we're forcing these people to actually make the changes because oh, otherwise yeah. they're not. They're not going to do it as a favor. No, I mean, Frederick Douglass said power because he's nothing without a demand. Uh, never has, never will. And the, and the reality is that's one of the things that we're doing with NABJ, uh, how we are pushing hard against CNN and Jeff Zucker for having no black executives, no black EPs, no black VPs, no black SVPs, no black EVPs, no black direct reports. Uh, and they keep giving us lip service. Uh, and their answer to us is, well, you know, we'll meet with NABJ. We're not going to meet with Roland. I'm like, well, that's cute, but I'm the vice president <laughs> digital. And so we're going to be in the meeting. But they still have not answered why y'all can't find black people. Why you can't promote black people? And we talk about uh, that uh, that photo I'm looking for right now, uh, where they got criticized uh, again, like Soledad and others. But in fact, today Bakari Sellers uh, criticized. Uh, he had something to say about uh, uh, MSNBC NBC because they put a, out a photo stating who was going to um, who, their debate moderators. Yep. Mm. Yep. Uh, and it mm. was uh, Lester Holt, Rachel Maddow, uh, Chuck Todd. It was. Um, uh, God from Today Show, uh, 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 Guthrie, Savannah, Savannah Guthrie, Guthrie. Uh, and it was also from Telemundo. Um, why, uh, why is his name escaping me? Uh, he's he's, uh, he's going to hate me for getting his name right now. Yeah. And uh, he, it's Bakari said, I'm sorry, the biggest block of voters, most important block of voters for the Democratic Party is black women, yep. and that's not yeah, a black woman right. among the moderators. And the Democrats are mandating there has to be a person of color, mm -hmm. there has to be a woman, uh, as a moderator in every single debate. I think also, is if we look at these trends here, it's not even that you know black people aren't in the news. It's what do they allow us to speak about? Right. Oh. Right. And so mm -hmm. again, when you're talking mm -hmm. about, you know, it, it's not enough just to say that oh, we had a panel that was all black and therefore we're good for a week. Right. right. It's a matter of saying that look, if you don't have black voices coming to bear on the economy, we can talk about literally not. You can talk about GDP, but let's talk about hood, hood economics. Does that money circulate in our community? Mm -hmm. How long does if that? If you're looking for a black economist, watch this show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. And pretty much. No, I mean, you're not. I mean, and look, yeah. uh, I didn't see black generals and black military people on D Day. Mm, in cool. regular coverage. I, don't, don't, don't give me the black economist when we're talking about black economics. No. Give me the black economist who's discussing the economy. Right. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, you don't see that right. because you don't have somebody. And, and don't, don't give me the ghettoization of news. Mm -hmm. Don't give me CNN, the panel of when you got four or five black people up there uh, and then you want to be uh, this whole messy, crazy shout match versus yep. right. a sane conversation. Mm -hmm. yep. But that also happens because you don't have people at the top actually monitoring what's going on. So you have a whole panel of black people, and like you said, Boom. but if you have, you know, white people with the perception of what black people are, that's what's going to be on your television. So that's why shows like this are important because you have black people at the top who actually know what black people need to see, what uh, black people are, mm -hmm. you know, not a caricature, not a stereotype, but who we are. And we also don't have to be manufactured to, you know, fit a mold as to what other people think black people are. But again, it starts at the top. It starts yeah, with the executive. It, it, look, I, I think that Obviously, I think the, the media is kind of the last horizon, right? That I think that when we're able to tell our stories and, and preach our truth, that we'll have a better ability to have our opinions and our views and our needs met. But I think that this 
this is not just a media thing. I think it goes to the people who are trying to start a, a black-owned supermarket yeah. and can't get black people to donate money to make sure that they can have a mm -hmm. supermarket that supports black-owned businesses. It's a, getting us out here to say that how can we not have, you know, all the brilliant people who have gone out there and made podcasts and made NPR a whole heap of money, mm -hmm. um, who then turn around and try to get out there and start their own podcast and can't get black people to tune in. And yeah. so, yes, it is systemic. And yes, on some basic level, it becomes very difficult if you don't have the resources to get those resources together. Mm -hmm. But if we're not even willing as a community to start pooling those resources for the one show, for the two shows, for the three individuals that we know have put it on the line for our community year in and year out. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Right. Point blank, period. Not yeah. going to happen at all. And they need to actually have people who really have spent some time uh, in the communities that they talk about. You know, when we talk about climate and environmental issues, you know, they sometimes on the rare occasions that they have somebody having the conversation, mm -hmm. and folks ain't never been in one community, mm -hmm. they ain't had one conversation with Mrs. Ramirez or Mr. Johnson, mm -hmm. and they give this generalization, and, and it weakens, you know, why we should be focused on these issues. And Roland, the other part is, is that this reminds me of the music business where you had folks determining what types of music could go out and actually sort of moving our communities to, you know, be sort of anchored to certain things mm -hmm. without having, you know, real representation. And I think we have to be very careful in this. Space. Well, it was like last night I saw the, uh, the Clarence Avant documentary, mm -hmm. The Black Godfather, an amazing documentary by uh, Reggie Hutland. I called Clarence uh, coming to the office today. Mm -hmm. He said uh, he's been getting phone calls from London, Africa. He said he got, he never got as many phone calls in his life. Mm. All the folks who saw it. But it was interesting, it was really interesting last night because that was this one particular scene where it was five white guys mm -hmm. who, were, who were in the room. They were all former record label heads, mm -hmm. major record, record label heads. And they were all talking about, I mean, brilliance, how smart Clarence Avant was. I mean, you know, on and on and on and on. And, on. Mm -hmm. and I'm sitting there watching and I'm going, but why wasn't he one of them? Mm -hmm. uh, later, he became chairman of Motown. But I'm talking about why wasn't he heading Universal mm. and MCA mm -hmm. and going down the line? And that, and that's, and and now what we're talking about is power. Mm -hmm. Now, and see, we're t and so the same thing happens, and I tell people all the time to understand media. Uh, there's a site, Deadline.com. So you have Deadline.com, Variety.com, TheRap.com, mm -hmm. The Hollywood Reporter. They are the four biggest we call trades. And so I go to them every day, and I go to them to see who gets promoted. Mm -hmm. and so Deadline is one of their websites. So I go to them all the time. And it's always interesting to go there to see who has gotten promoted to these media positions. And what's real interesting is when I see somebody black, they usually are signing, <clears throat> they usually are signing a content deal, mm -hmm. a production deal. They usually are an actor. Mm. I'm talking about the other positions. I look at it right now. Um, Editors Guild named Scott Collins as communications director. Okay, I, mean, I don't know Scott. Uh, go, go to my iPad. I don't know Scott. But bottom line is when I look at this particular position, uh, when I go down here and I look at, again, more, every time I go on here and I'm looking at people who get, look at this here. So Marta Fernandez named president of Macro Television Studios. Um, then, oh, but right below that, Tina Gordon to direct Universal Musical Comedy, praise this. Mm -hmm. Now, Tina Gordon, great, great director, but she's directing. Okay. She ain't green lighting. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, and then if I go further, I, I, keep, I keep going on. I can keep going, looking at more of these. Uh, I can go to more stories. 
And I do, I mean, every day, and I'll go here, and I'll sit there and I'll go, and see, and see, these are the positions that, frankly, you can do for 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. These are the positions that are the, you know, ma major positions uh, when you start thinking about, uh, when you start talking about money. Mm -hmm. We're talking about control. Again, green lighting. And it's very rare that I will see somebody black mm. land a CEO or EVP position. And the reality is, in the history of Hollywood, you have never, you have had an African American who's the CEO of Xerox, mm -hmm. African American of American, American, American Express, the CEO of American Express, mm -hmm. but you ain't never, ever, African American has never been the head of a Hollywood studio. Mm -hmm. An African-American has never been the head of a network news division. Mm -hmm. Ever. Wow. Has never, an African-American, has never been the head of a broadcast network. Mm -hmm. Ever. 2019. If you want to understand power. Yep. Wow. And they're supposed to be progressive. Never. That's why yep. I keep saying so-called yep. liberal Hollywood. Exactly. Folks, a California jury that convicted former NFL player Kellen Winslow Jr. of raping a 58-year-old woman, homeless woman, was unable to break a deadlock on eight other counts, and a judge declared a mistrial on those charges. Winslow currently faces up to nine years in prison. Conviction on all charges could bring him a life in sentence. His father, of course, Hall of Famer Kellen Winslow, uh, was with him all throughout the trial. And so prosecutors will determine by Friday whether or not they're going to file, uh, actually try to file charges again to have a second trial. Talk about Baltimore, y'all. Y'all remember this video? I'm not touching them. Hey, yo, you see this shit, yo? I got all that, dummy. I got all that. I got all that. Well, y'all, that former cop that hit the jail, Arthur Williams, was convicted of second-degree assault and misconduct and not guilty of the more serious charge of first-degree assault. Really? Williams is going to be sentenced on August 9th. He faces 10 years for the second-degree assault charge. The judge can give any penalty that's not cruel and unusual. He resigned after the video of the assault went viral. Lock him up? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I think that, to me, when I, you know, besides the fact that it's disheartening and deplorable and all these different things, I, I, I think of always, well, how do we stop this from happening? because we keep sitting here around these tables having these conversations. And I look at videos like that, and it's not even the officer who's clearly lost his mind, but it's the other officer mm -hmm. who's there, right, who's, not doing it. Okay, all right. Not, not making no attempt no to pull attempt him off. Right. To try to say, right. my brother, right. you've lost control here in this moment. Mm -hmm. And so I think that if, if there is going to be a way for us to move forward, there has to be at some point some level of accountability for your brother in blue and to be able to sit here and say that look we recognize the same way that there are doctors who go bad the same way that there are you know people in every profession who just lose control or don't know how to do their job that it is incumbent on those people who are trusted voices in that community to step forward and if they don't 
then there is a level of culpability there that we'll never be able to get over. And to piggyback on that, we, we, what the um, police, police, is all, police departments all around the country, what they should, they should take a page out of what they're asking us to do as far as in our community, because they ask, they ask us to hold each other accountable. They have to do the same. Yeah. Like, you, you should really set the example. Looking at the video of that guy, that was about power. Absolutely. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a race dynamic in that sense, right. but that was about pure power. And because I can, I will, and I did. Yeah. Right. And, and the only reason he resigned and got convicted? It was called a video. Video. Yeah. video. Yeah. You know, I do commend uh, the courts for actually convicting him. We mm -hmm. know of plenty of instances where the cops do not get convicted, but I can't help but notice that for a majority of these cases, the cops who do get convicted are uh, people of color. Mm -hmm. So we still have a ways to go in terms of police brutality and being an even keel in terms of these convictions. Mm -hmm. um, also, the fact that he was not or convicted of first-degree murder, or murder, assault, mm -hmm. rather. Mm -hmm. Thank God he wasn't murdered. Right. Um, that also brings me pause because there was clear intent in that video. I want to know exactly mm -hmm. what happened and what was in the jury's minds. Obviously, I won't, but that's something to be considered. Well, the question, too, will be, you know, um, is there a civil case? Will there exactly. be a proper remuneration mm -hmm. of this individual? We've seen huge payouts uh, for folks who are not people of color. Mm -hmm. And then we got to look at what's really going on. This is a part of the dehumanization of folks who reside inside of our communities mm -hmm. and people feeling that they have the right to be able to do certain things to people in our communities. Mm -hmm. And if we don't address that as well, then we're going to always have these types of situations where those who think that they have power or do have some form of power will play it out in the lives of people inside of those communities. And when you talk about that, uh, when you talk about this cop being convicted, it sort of reminds me, of course, the cop uh, in Minneapolis who got exactly. uh, sentenced to 12 and a half years for killing a white woman. Mm -hmm. you know, the cop who killed Philando Castile, nothing happened to them. Mm -hmm. uh, this was from four years ago. Y'all remember we did this story here. This was a, it was a Delaware cop, Del it was Dover, Delaware, uh, this cop kicks a brother in the head. Here we go to the video. Kicks a brother in the head, okay? While hands up, kneeling down, and of course, this officer found not guilty by a jury. Right. But wait till you see the video. You see him right here. You see the brother. He's sitting here. Um, he's gonna throw his hands up. Cop runs up, throwing his hands up, kneeling down. He's kneeling down. Mm -hmm. All right, so they, they, they cut it off there. Uh, the cop literally kicks him in his head. Hmm. Uh, I'm gonna pull the video up because uh, they obviously that website didn't want to show it. Uh, I'm gonna show the video. Hmm. Cop kicks him in the head, kicks him in the head, knocks him out cold. Jury found not guilty. I mean, I think also that, you know, to your point about these settlements, at some point we have to realize that, you know, we're settling for less. I don't care what that dollar no, figure absolutely. is. Yeah. Because that amount of money penalizes the very community that's been victimized. That, that brother got $300,000. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In this case right here, he got $300,000. I mean, that, that money is money that comes out of homeless services. It comes out of services for people mm -hmm. living in public housing. That is not money that actually impacts the individuals who are perpetrating these crimes. Mm -hmm. And I've always said from the beginning, the easiest way to make sure that Officer Tony doesn't fly off the handle is to make sure that at least some part of that 
that punitive damages comes out of the pension fund. Which, which, because, which yeah. is why you have to yeah. change the, the police contract. Because the yeah. day they have the day they got to start pay paying, out of money, oh, there is not a single person that's going to sit there and say, hey, 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 when Tony's flown off the handle. There's not a single person that's going to say, yes, I love this man. He is my brother in blue, and I know his wife, and I know his kids. But I'm not going to allow him to make sure that my children don't eat and that my children don't go to college. And that's why I also say, for the cop who lies on a police report, they need it too. They need automatically lose your job. You don't turn your body camera on, automatically, you automatically lose your job. I'm, I'm tired. Of, uh, not quite. No. Go back to the video. I think we. I think it's gonna come up now. You should be able to see the video here. Uh, that is just crazy, to me. When they finally. Uh, so actually, guys, you went to a little bit. Okay, here we go. Let me pull it back. All right. So watch this here. Brother's hands on his head, going down, and the cop mm. kicks him in his head. That's ridiculous. Mm. Knocked him out cold. The jury said he was not guilty. And we continue to see these. You know, we, we talk about police <laughs> over, but we see this stuff with these juries all the time. I don't, and I don't yeah. know what it is about the system that, allo that allows. I, I mean, look, I don't think it's necessarily. It, it, Kelly Vinjola. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. But okay. I don't necessarily think. It, it is a systemic thing, absolutely. But when you talk about a jury, you're still talking about people. And when it comes to people, there's an inherent racial bias yeah. there. Mm -hmm. And there's an inherent people. racial bias when it comes mm -hmm. to these cops. And, and not just white people. Not you just, have black folks who right. are jurors. As, we as give cops all kinds of leeway. Yeah. Right, and when it comes to cops, and I keep saying this on this show, if you have a racial bias that you know of, or even don't know of, but you feel like you might, you don't need to be in a client-facing job. And that client could be, um, you know, a constituent. That client could be just, you know, a pedestrian that you're trying to protect and serve. If you feel like just looking at that person, you're automatically going to kick them in the head because all of a sudden you're afraid or mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're fearing for your life. I mean, I, you see video after video, and I, I get to the point where just for my self-care, I can't watch these videos anymore because you see it again and again, and yep. it is traumatizing. But if you are in a job like this, if you're a cop, you don't need to be in that kind of job. You need to find something else where your racial bias won't be, you know, inflicted upon me. What Joseph says, point black. Once the cops got to start paying, mm -hmm. all this stops. Absolutely. It's just the truth. And I mean, to me, also, again, as a community, saying that, look, if you're mad about this, if you're, to your point, can't watch this, I couldn't even, I'm embarrassed to tell you how long it took me to, to, to read the new Jim Crow. I mean, I'm, and to this point, mm -hmm. I still can't bring myself to watch mm -hmm. when will they, you know, when, when they, they see, see it. I still haven't I, seen it. Haven't I watched it. It's not because it's not available, but I can't bring myself to do it because it's just too, it, it, it's the, a lie. the weight. But, you know, to your point, we also has as a, as a community to say that look, if you're mad, are you registered to vote? Because mm -hmm. even if you don't want to vote, you have to be registered to vote to end up on these juries. That's right, right. Mm -hmm. And so now, if you're sitting here saying that look, I don't, I, that's a whole other conversation that we yeah. can get at, and I can yell at you for. But <laughs> at the very least, yeah. if you're upset about what's happening in right. these communities, if you're mad and tired of seeing your brothers and your sisters and your mommies and your aunties being treated as subhuman. Mm -hmm. then get off the sidelines yep. and make sure that you're in that jury box mm -hmm. when those people start saying, well, the officer said this, and start poking holes in these stories. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, folks, last story here. A report from Missouri's attorney general shows that black drivers across the state are 91% more likely than white motorists to be pulled over by police, and African Americans are even more likely to be stopped in the communities where they live. The Missouri NAACP in 2017 issued a travel advisory warning for people to be careful while in Missouri because of a danger that civil rights won't be respected, citing in part the Attorney General's annual report 
on disparities in police stops. See, that's just the reality of what it means to be black in America. And, and again, the, the thing that, that, that we have to understand, that we have to understand when we talk about this idea of race. Mm -hmm. When people say, we're beyond race, no, we're not. Numbers don't lie, facts don't lie. When you don't see any black people in the upper echelon of the U.S. Treasury Department, when you see few black people literally in uh, suites all across uh, media and also uh, hedge funds in Wall Street, when you see it in corporate America, what you are seeing is you are seeing the vestiges of white supremacy. You are seeing people who are saying that ah, we, we just can't find them because the, the really, really talented people, um, they just happen to be white. Well, yeah, because what you've done is you've frozen out those of us and say you would never will have a shot. That is the reality. And so what we have to begin to do is say not enough. And so what we're seeing right now, of course, we are 24 years away from America becoming a nation, majority people of color. That's right, by 2043, there'll be more Hispanic, black folks, uh, Latinos, uh, as well as Asians in America than white folks. But the question we have to deal with is, will the power look different? Mm -hmm. Who will control the money? Who will control the political offices? Who will be in charge of the power? And see, that's what the real issue is. Mm -hmm. The reason I created this show is to actually build it into a digital network. Because how much longer are we going to have to keep asking white executives, please, 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 pretty please, can I get a show? Can I be able to talk about the issues that we care about? That's why it matters to what Joseph said. We have to support what is already there, what is existing. If not, then when we're saying, well, why wasn't that covered? Well, who are we to blame? The reality is we have to be in a position where we are speaking with our own voice. And as the nation's first black newspaper said in March of 1827, we wish to plead our own cause to long have others spoken for us. So the challenge for you is, how do you even in your daily life support black businesses? Do you go to black cleaners? Do you go to a black-owned uh, bank? Do you utilize uh, black-owned uh, cleaning services, janitorial services, uh, the per folks who fix your car? How are you ensuring that we are making sure our dollars being circulated and then we are supporting the very institutions that support us? That is on you. And so you got to make that call. I can't make it for you. But if you're not doing it, shut the hell up. It's as simple as that. If you want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered, go to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Of course, you can join our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, our goal is to get 1,000 new uh, folks in our fan club this month, uh, Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, we've got more than 2,000 right now, 2,022, so we want to hit 3,000 by the end of June. Uh, you can utilize Cash App, PayPal, as well as Square if you want to contribute. Uh, it's, we've got some people who are giving us a little dollar, others are giving us $1,000 a month. Uh, whatever you can do, we certainly support it, make it happen. Now, tomorrow I'll be broadcasting live from the American Black Film Festival uh, taking place in Miami. We'll have our regular show, and also we'll be on the red carpet there because uh, Shaft is the big movie premiering there at the ABFF, and so we look forward to hollering at uh, Jesse T. Usher, Richard Roundtree, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Regina Hall, and all the other folks who are in the movie Shaft. And so we'll be from ABFF all week, and so we look forward to bringing you some of the best uh, of, of blackness from ABFF uh, between now and Sunday.
All right, folks, I got to go. Joseph, thanks a bunch. Uh, Malik, Kelly, Usafa, thank you so very much, folks. I shall see you guys tomorrow. Got to go. Holla! You want to support Roller Barge Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. Hey fam, want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered, the blackest show on all of digital cable and broadcast. Check out our audio podcast. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Martin Unfiltered. Press play.
From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xu mo.com or download from the app and google play stores today all you can stream with zumo play